Uh, some time ago, I was searching for something uh, on the internet. I don't know how I came across this, but I did. I came across some pictures of celebrities when they were children, uh, when they were kids. I want to see if you could guess who these people are. Here's the first one. Anybody know who that is? Yeah, somebody of you got that. Some of you got that. Lady Gaga. Uh, here's the second. Beyonce. Yeah, Beyonce. See if you can get this one. That's George Clooney. And then the last one is somebody in the first service said Dustin Krantz. That's not Dustin Krantz. That's, that's Ryan Seacrest. Uh, Ryan Seacrest. I don't know if you would have guessed that. It's funny to look at pictures of these people before they became uh, bigger than life, when they were just ordinary kids, before they discovered the extent of their talents and their abilities, and before they became world-famous singers, actors, and uh, musicians, and then whatever it is that Ryan Seacrest <laughs> is. Had you been there on the night that Jesus was born, he wouldn't have looked like anything more than an ordinary newborn. Tiny, uh, crying, unable to control, you know, his arms and legs. Yet at the same time, even in that moment, the Bible says that he was king over all creation. The author of the New Testament letter to the Colossians writes this. He says, for by him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things uh, hold together. Unlike the kids who became celebrities, Jesus didn't become the king of the universe. He has always been the king of the, of the universe, even as he lie in a manger. The highest mountains, even then, in their snow-capped glory and their awe-inspiring majesty, would quake at the sound of his name and worship him. And one day in the future, presidents, princes, kings, celebrities, Academy Award winners, athletes, dictators, authors, pastors, atheists, agnostics, self-help gurus, Nobel Prize winning scientists, the Dalai Lama, and you, no matter who you are, no matter what you profess to believe or not believe about Jesus, all will one day bow down and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and King of the universe. There is no one more important, no one more exalted, no one more supreme in the universe than Jesus. That's what this passage means when it says he is before all things. But there's another phrase in this fast passage that I want to zoom in on in the next few minutes. And it's this phrase in verse 17 that says, in him all things hold together. Now, if you're like me, that just sounds at first like fancy Bible speak. For a long time when I read that, I didn't really know what it meant, let alone understand its implications. But once you understand this, I think it will revolutionize the way that you think about Jesus. And so in the next few minutes, I want to try to cut through some of the sentimentality that we often fall into on Christmas Eve when we talk about the baby Jesus. And I want to draw out some of the staggering implications of this phrase, in him all things hold together. Now let me, let me begin by asking this, if, if you don't mind me asking. And if you don't mind, show your hands. It, how many of you are going to be watching 
uh, football or basketball over the holidays? Raise your hands. Raise your hands. Okay, a bunch of you. Some of you probably by choice. Um, some of you probably will end up watching games because that's all that the people in your house will be doing uh, over the holidays. Lots of sports. I want to ask those of you, though, who are football and basketball fans, what makes you so sure as you watch games tomorrow, let's say, what makes you so sure that when a quarterback drops back to pass or when a basketball player takes a, a jump shot, what makes you so sure that the football or the basketball will do basically the same thing aerodynamically tomorrow that it has done in the past? What makes you so sure of that? And how do you know that the law of gravity will take effect and bring the ball back down to the earth as opposed to say, I don't know, flying off into orbit? How do you know that? How do you know that will happen tomorrow? like it's happened in the past. If you're scientifically inclined, you might answer by explaining, you know, the laws of aerodynamics. Maybe you would explain the law of gravity. If you're not scientifically inclined, you might tell me, that's one of the dumbest questions I think I've ever been asked. <laughs> the people to whom this phrase was written, in him, all things hold together. They weren't football players, they weren't basketball players, they weren't football or basketball fans, of course. They also didn't understand the laws of aerodynamics. They didn't understand even the law of gravity. But they did understand that there was predictability to the world. That if you, if you threw a rock in the air today, it would travel through the air and fall to the ground just like it did yesterday. It was predictable. And there was a word that they used for this predictability of nature. And the word was cosmos. Cosmos. Now, when we use that word today, we might use it like the late scientist Carl Sagan used it, you know, to describe everything, uh, the entirety of the universe. But the ancient Greeks, it, to them, it was a word that referred to this predictability, this order, this, this harmony of the world. Now, the opposite to the word cosmos is what? What do you think the opposite to the word cosmos is? If cosmos means harmony, order, predictability, what do you think the opposite to that would be? Yeah, chaos. Chaos. That's the, that's the opposite. Cosmos or chaos. Chaos would mean that when you throw a rock through the air today, well, it doesn't necessarily do the same thing tomorrow. That would mean that we live in a chaotic, not ordered, unpredictable universe. Now, not only did they observe cosmos in the natural world, okay, they also observed that there was cosmos in the moral order of the universe. In general, they observed People everywhere tend to play by the same set of rules of right and wrong. Morality, they observed, isn't random, they noticed. It's not chaos, it's, it's cosmos. Now, the people to whom the book of Colossians was written had been taught by ancient Greek philosophers for over 300 years that the reason there was cosmos, not chaos, in the world, well, the reason was just due to an underlying principle that maintained the order of the universe. It was a principle that somehow maintain order in the universe. Now, the writer of this passage, the Apostle Paul, is attacking that idea here. Now, you can't see it on the surface. But he's going right after this 300-year-old idea when he says that it's not that there's a principle that maintains order in the universe, it's a person that maintains order in the universe. 
In him, all things, in him, in Jesus, in the Lord Jesus Christ, all things hold together. He's the reason that there's order in the universe because he maintains that order. And so what Paul is doing is he's, perf- he's personifying the principle, you see. He's saying that Jesus is the reason there is scientific order in the universe and not chaos. He's the reason that there is a moral order in the universe and not chaos. Now, here's where the staggering implications of this verse, in him all things hold together. Here's where the staggering implications come in. When you worship Christ at Christmas, you have to understand that the person that you're worshiping is the king over physical reality, the king over metaphysical reality, and the king over your life. Now I'm gonna explain all of those in just a little bit of detail. Let me just say him again. He's the king over over physical reality. He is king over metaphysical reality. And he is the king over your life. He's the king over physical reality. Meaning that he's the king over all of the scientific laws of physics that we have discovered. As well as the ones that we have yet to discover. He's the one who authored those. He's the one who keeps them all together. Working in an orderly fashion. He makes things cosmos, not chaos. Now, I want to suggest to those of you who are here tonight, maybe, maybe, maybe you're here tonight only because of your family. You know, maybe they sort of, maybe they dragged you here because it's Christmas tradition and, and you know, you go along cooperatively, but you might not consider yourself to be a believer in Christ. Maybe you, maybe you would even say that you consider yourself to be an atheist. That's fine. Glad you're here tonight. Really glad that you're here tonight. I just want you to know this, though. This idea that the universe is a cosmos and not chaos is a real problem for you. Why isn't the universe random? See, this is the question that philosophers have struggled with for thousands of years. If man is merely an accidental collision of atoms, how and why is there order in the universe? The Apostle Paul says that the reason the universe is cosmos, not chaos, is because Jesus Christ, God incarnate, is Lord over all of physical reality, all of the scientific laws that we've discovered and that we are yet to discover, and he is the one who is holding all of this together. That's why there's cosmos, not chaos, because of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is king over physical reality. Not only king over physical reality, he is also king over metaphysical reality. Uh, This passage in Colossians says that for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, that's physical things, and invisible, that's metaphysical. Meta means beyond physical. I'll give you some examples of metaphysical things. Love. It's beyond physical. You can't touch love. You can't feel it. Joy. Peace, those are metaphysical realities, beyond physical. Now, you need to know that there are people who try to attack Jesus' significance by arguing that there is no such thing as metaphysical reality. They would say there isn't anything supernatural. Uh, There's only physical, material things. Here's an example of that. I read, uh, read an article recently by a woman who is a neuroscientist 
And she had gone through a breakup with her boyfriend and she, she wrote an article and it was called For a Broken Heart, Take Two Tylenol. And in this article, she describes the breakup and she tries very, very hard as a neuroscientist to, break this, to, to, to bring this breakup down to something that is just physical, just chemical, not metaphysical. In other words, love isn't metaphysical. Love isn't a real connection to another person. There's not, not really anything special about the other person. Two of you are just having impersonal chemical reactions to one another. If you love someone, that's all you're having. Chemical reactions is what she would say. So here's how she, des- here's how she describes uh, her relationship with this guy. And I want you to listen to how romantic it is. She says, I loved the way that he slid his fingers into into mine as we walked home and how he sometimes squeezed my first finger with his thumb extra tightly just to remind me that he was there. The electricity from his touch sent a cascade of oxytocin from my posterior pituitary, lowering my cortisone levels and enveloping me with dopamine bursting out of my nucleus accumbens. I don't know what those are, but I would be engulfed, she said, by feelings of exhilaration and bliss. That's beautiful, isn't it? So romantic. Wouldn't you say that's just incredibly romantic? But see, if love is just chemical reactions, why are there so many songs written about love? Like, why write songs about chemical reactions? For instance, here's a very famous love song that has brought tears to millions of women the world over from a very famous movie. Let's listen to a few seconds of it. You know this song. Is that song really so powerful just because it's an ode to oxytocin? Or is there something else more to this song? You know, here's the other thing. If there is no metaphysical reality in the universe, not only would pop musicians not write songs about love, country musicians couldn't write songs about how he or she done me wrong by sleeping with someone else because wrong is a statement of morality and morality is a metaphysical thing. And without moral order in the universe, there's no basis for saying something is wrong. Any feelings that you might have that right is better than wrong, those are just chemical reactions too. And see, life at that point, if there is no metaphysical reality, life at that point becomes chaos, not cosmos. And I would suggest to you that no matter how much we try to deny metaphysical reality, the arts are all about trying to express metaphysical reality. Paul says that there is a metaphysical reality. The writer of this passage, the Apostle Paul, says that there is a metaphysical reality and that the order that you find in it is because of Jesus. The reason that things like love and right and wrong exist and that life isn't meaningless and chaotic is because Jesus created it all. He is the source of it all. He defines it all. And he holds all of the scientific and metaphysical laws, whether you believe in him or not, whether you submit to him or not, whether you want him to be king or not, he is still the king over your life. And here's the thing. If Jesus is the king who holds all things together, your life experience will be cosmos or chaos depending upon the degree to which you bring your life under his reign. Let me explain what I mean by that. I want you to go back and I want you to think about watching basketball and football games again. What would happen? What would happen if each team and every player in the games that you're going to watch tomorrow and in the days ahead, 
What if each team and every player made up their own rules? Like, what if one team said, the goal of the game is to score less points than the other team? Incidentally, that is how my team, the Dallas Cowboys, seem to think of football. But what if they did that? What if one team said, yeah, we think the goal of the game is to score less points? What if the other team said, there are boundaries for the playing field we will honor, but what if the other team said, there are boundaries to the playing field, but we're not going to tell you what those boundaries are. We're not going to tell you what the sidelines in the end, we're not going to tell you where they are. What would happen? The games themselves would become meaningless. They'd become chaotic. You wouldn't know who won. You wouldn't know who lost. It would be meaningless chaos. And you see, the reason the games are meaningful, the reason they are cosmos, not chaos, is because each team brings themselves under the ruling authority of their respective leagues. That brings cosmos. That brings meaning to the games, not chaos. In the same way, the degree to which you bring your life under the rule of the king of the universe, your life will have more or less meaning, more or less cosmos, more or less chaos. You will never understand the meaning of life. You will never understand yourself psychologically. You will never understand your purpose in life until you bring yourself under the rule and the authority of the king. He's still the king whether you do it or not. But you'll never understand your life, your purpose, yourself psychologically until you bring yourself under the rule of the king. You'll never get out from the chaos, never experience the peace that the king wants to give you until you submit to his kingship over all the areas of your life. Because in him, all things, even your life, hold together. This baby in a manger that we worship, He is the king over all of the scientific laws of the universe that we have discovered and all the ones that we have yet to discover. He is the king over the metaphysical realities uh, of the universe. Because those two things are true, your life is either cosmos or chaos to the degree that you bring your life under the reign of the cosmic king Jesus. And as you celebrate the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ tonight and tomorrow, and as you watch football and basketball games, Would you do more than just be sentimental about him? Give the king his due. As the one who holds physical reality, metaphysical reality together, and the one who would hold your life together. If you bring it underneath his reign. Would you pray with me? We think of you in much too small of terms, Lord Jesus. Tonight we encounter the fact that you are the king over all of reality. The one who holds the whole universe together. Things visible and invisible, you hold them together. And Lord Jesus Christ, for those that are here tonight that may never have understood that before, I pray that for the first time, perhaps even tonight, that they would bring their lives under your authority, under your reign. And Lord, as they, do that, they, they, as they do that, they would, I pray that they would begin to experience more and more and more peace, cosmos, not chaos. We worship you, Lord Jesus Christ, tonight. Thank you that you gave up all of the privileges of heaven to enter into our world to become a man. And it's in your name tonight that we worship Lord Jesus Christ.
Amen. Amen.